The old pilots plain tales. Loop de loop flip flop. Santa's got an airplane. This Christmas tale is dedicated to our listener and friend, Main Man Micah. Even though Christmas doesn't actually feature in his religious calendar and he will be eating Chinese on Christmas Day. He used to be a radio DJ and has an encyclopedic knowledge of music from his era, but this is one even he might struggle with. It goes like this. Cause loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's got an airplane. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, flying in an airplane. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's heart's full of joy. Loop-de-loop, flip-flop, Santa's got a new toy. He skydives down to the chimney with ease. Parachutes are packaged to the whole family. It's Santa's air special delivery to under your tree, etc. I quote the song, which comes from a surprisingly famous band for such dubious lyrics, as it's a bit of a lead-in to the other part of this tale, which comes from Micah's stomping ground up in the northern wilds of New England. That's a part of the United States uh, that has, for me, a surprisingly homely feel. Within its area are names very familiar to anyone from Britain. Hartford, Rutland. Newport, Cambridge, Gloucester, Lancaster, Windsor, Belfast, Brunswick, Rochester, Portsmouth, Bath, and of course Boston, where my first son was born, uh, the one in Lincolnshire. And there's a banger in Maine and a banger in Gwynedd, the oldest city in Wales and one I frequented when I served as a flying instructor at Valley on Anglesey. The story for Micah is one that, I hope, he hasn't heard before despite featuring in one of his local newspapers as recently as 1997. The story stretches back to 1929 and involves a main float plane flown by Captain William Winkarpar, a native of Friendship in Maine. It's not a big place. Back in 2010 it had barely a thousand inhabitants and back when William was born, it was smaller than that. The rocky coastline of New England has always been a difficult and dangerous place for mariners to sail. There are hundreds of wrecks off the coast, but the combination of the busy sea routes to England and the rich fishing grounds meant that there was always going to be a surfeit of vessels trying to navigate the treacherous sandbanks and reefs that lay hidden, just waiting to drag the unwary down to Davy Jones' locker. As a result, the communities who lived by the sea kept guard, ready to assist vessels in distress, and dozens of lighthouses and coast guard stations were built to help those who sailed the waters there. Wincorpor had started flying way back in 1911, and by the 20s he had a seaplane base in Rockland Harbour. He had been a pioneer in the early days of aviation and was well known around Penobscot Bay area as a skilled and adventurous pilot. He flew a variety of aircraft, but was most at home in amphibious floatplanes. 
the landscape of Penobscot Bay being made up of numerous islands, float planes had become a most practical means of transport. At this time, Captain Wincopor was overseeing operations of the Curtis Flying Service at the Rockland Airfield, as well as the nearby seaplane base. He flew the coast of Maine and used the lighthouses as navigation points to help him get around, particularly when the bad weather that often plagued the area closed in. He was well known for transporting passengers and cargo along the main coast, and he frequently took to the air in less-than-ideal conditions to provide transport for sick or injured islanders. His brave flights, often in poor weather, were responsible for the saving of many lives. On lots of these flights, his only means of navigation were the lighthouses, maintained by keepers along the coast. He developed friendships with the families that kept these remote, life-saving beacons alight. When he was out and about, the keepers would keep a watchful eye out for his plane. They made it a habit to relay word back to the airfield whenever he had safely passed their position. On calmer days, William would often land at a local lighthouse, tie up his aircraft and spend some time chatting with the keepers. He had a great deal of admiration for these men and their families who lived such isolated lives as many stations were far from even the smallest towns where they might get supplies. The brave souls who worked there had to rely on infrequent resupply from ships and might have to wait months for the next delivery particularly when the weather was set against them. On one particular flight, he had become lost in a snowstorm, but eventually sighted a familiar beam of light cutting through the bad weather. It was Dicehead Lighthouse at Cape Rosier. A few days later, it was December the 25th, 1929, and that was when William Wincorpor started his very special flights. He loaded up his aircraft with a dozen packages containing newspapers, magazines, coffee, candy and other small luxuries that might make living on an isolated island in the middle of winter a little more bearable. He set off in his float plane and visited lighthouses around the Rockland area, dropping his modest gifts off to the families who lived there never realising just how well his gesture of Christmas goodwill would be received. He flew home to spend the rest of the day with his family. Then word came back to him in the days that followed that his gifts of Christmas cheer were exceedingly well received. The keepers and their families were touched to be remembered on this special holiday. A simple gesture of thanks had made the days so much more special for the residents of these outposts. Wincorpor realised that this yuletide flight deserved to be repeated, and he tried to include more of the lighthouse families and coast guard stations along the coast into Massachusetts, Rhode Island and Connecticut. William was eventually joined on the lighthouse trips by his son Bill Jr., an aspiring pilot. 
the Winkelpaws didn't consider themselves Santas, this title was fondly bestowed on them by the recipients of their goodwill. Eventually, Captain Winkelpaw began to dress for the role in a big red flying suit with whiskers and all. By 1933, the Winkelpaw family had relocated to Winthrop, Massachusetts. Their Christmas flights now took them to as many as 91 lighthouses and coast guard stations. The cost of the programme started to expand, but fortunately they were able to find sponsors in the business community, including Adriel U. Bird, president of the W.S. Quimby Company of Boston. This was the parent company of La Touraine Coffee. Thus began the connection to one of the program's longest-running sponsors. In 1934, Bill Jr., at the age of 16, was the youngest licensed pilot in Massachusetts and was well on his way to following in his father's aviation footsteps. That same year, he piloted part of the lighthouse routes with his father. The following year, he would fly on his own to a number of the lights. It was about this time that Bill Jr. introduced his father to Edward Rose Snow, one of his teachers at Winthrop High School. Mr. Snow, a native of Winthrop, had always had a keen interest in the sea and ships and the history of the New England coast. He was a descendant of sea captains and would eventually become one of the most well-known maritime authors and historians. Captain Winkorpor was looking for additional help with his growing schedule of flights and knew that Snow was the right man for the job. In 1936, whilst the elder Winkorpor flew the northern route, Bill Jr. and Mr. Snow flew to 25 stops in southern New England. By 1938, Bill Sr. was to be found in Bolivia, flying gold and mining machinery over the jungles and mountains of South America. Unable to make it back to New England for the Christmas trips, he called upon his son to make the flights with the assistance of Edward Snow. The Winkle Paws had shown him the ropes, and Ed Snow was now in it for the long haul. The flights all went off without a hitch. Before long, both Bill Sr. and Bill Jr. were heavily involved with the South American cargo flights and would be unable to return, so it was up to Ed Snow, with his entirely appropriate name, to take over full responsibility for these wonderful charitable flights. Now known as Santa Snow, both Ed and his wife, Anna Merle, organised and packed and delivered hundreds of parcels up and down the New England coast. They dropped their presents on parachutes down into the waiting arms of the families below, and in that way could get to everyone in time. Wiggins Airways got involved and provided an aircraft and an extra pilot. Charlie Cowan, and for the next 60 years they would help by providing much-needed transport. Sadly, the start of the Second World War curtailed the Christmas flights. Bill Jr. had made his way to Pensacola to become a flying instructor for the U.S. Navy. His father was still flying in Bolivia and couldn't make the trip north to join him, but Santa Snow managed to get permission for a flight on Christmas Day, 1941, to drop to 35 locations. 
He went to some lengths to try to avoid being shot at by trigger-happy coastal defences by putting a huge banner down the side of his aircraft reading Christmas Seal Plane in big red letters. As the war progressed, the flights had to stop when Ed Snow and Bill took up wartime obligations. Ed was ferrying bombers to England, and then he joined the search over the Atlantic for enemy submarines. With peace came happier Christmases for the Lighthouse families when Ed Snow restarted his familiar Santa-related duties. Then tragedy... During a drop to the keeper's family at Kitty Hunk Island off the coast of Massachusetts, a little girl was heartbroken when a doll meant for her was smashed as it parachuted down onto a rock. Hearing of this, Santa Snow took decisive action, and the next year he chartered a helicopter from Wigan Airways to ensure a safe delivery. Christmas 1946 saw Santa setting off from Boston Airport in one of the very first commercial helicopters to make the rounds of the lighthouses. Roy Beer, a pioneer in helicopter flight, was at the controls. The little girl's father was now the keeper at West Chop Light on Martha's Vineyard, and the family met Santa and his helicopter when it landed at the nearby Gayhead life-saving station. Now back from the war, the Wincorpors were able to take part again. Bill Jr. was now the pilot of a DC-3, with his father, in his sixties, at the rear throwing packages out of the door to drift gently down to the grateful families. It took two days of flying to cover the 115 lighthouses and Coast Guard stations from Cohasset, Massachusetts to the Canadian border. That year, the Wincorpors made sure the flights were completed before Christmas Day, so that for the first time in 18 years, Captain Wincorpors' wife would have him home on the holiday. Sadly, the next summer, William Wincorpor Sr., would suffer a heart attack shortly after getting airborne from Rockland Harbour. His cub cruiser seaplane nosed down into the sea and both he and his young passenger were killed. What was supposed to be a wonderful joy ride up and down the coast had ended in tragedy. A memorial service was held in Rockland that was attended by lighthouse keepers, their families island residents and representatives of the Coast Guard, Navy and Army. And at two o'clock, as the service began, foghorns and lighthouse warning bells ran out across Penobscot Bay in memory of Captain William H. Winkler, the Flying Santa of the Lighthouses. Over the years, the Christmas flights that William Wincorpor had started would change in nature, and others would take up the challenge of delivering presents to the much-deserving families of the lighthouse keepers. The reach of the flights would grow as far as lights on the Great Lakes, Bermuda, the Equelon Islands, and even the remote Sable Island, 100 miles east of Nova Scotia. It was at these remotest of places that the Flying Santa's visits were most cherished. 
Away from the trappings of the holiday's commercialism, these isolated families greeted their red-suited guest with enormous enthusiasm. By 1981, Ed Snow was too ill to make the flights anymore, but word of this reached Judith Van Ham, the director of the Hull Life-Saving Museum. The museum was in its infancy and their budget was small, but after a number of phone calls, the services of three different helicopters were obtained and Ed Snow was able to rest, secure in the knowledge that someone else had picked up the torch. The flights would continue to this very day. Ed Snow passed away the following year. If you want to make a donation and find out more about this wonderful cause, then why not visit the Friends of Flying Santa at flyingsanta.com. If you enjoyed this story, then please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com. Merry Christmas.